Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. So what happens when you have a State of the Union and no one believes you? That's got to be awfully frustrating. Now, the way, oh, I get it. I thought this, this is a weird headline from Fox. Biden's fantasy economy, Americans see through the State of the Union spin on jobs, inflation, and deficits. It's an opinion piece from Andy Puzder because he's quoting an ABC piece that came out before the State of the Union. And I was going to get into that poll because do I trust polls? Do I believe polls? No, no, I don't. I don't trust. I don't believe I've, I've been burned enough. I am. I am twice bitten, 4,000 times shy. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you uh, down in Texas uh, today. I'm here for a, a cigar event. I'll be talking all about it. Corey Johnston. Uh, be one of my uh, guests uh, today talking about what's going on, not only just with, with that industry, but what's going on with hiring people. What is it like to actually try and hire people in, in this economy, which is, uh, for the record, very, very rough. Joe Biden took to the State of the Union to tell you that everything is fine, that that wages are, are rising and inflation is down, all of this. And, and, and I have real, real issues with things that the chairman of the Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell, is saying, and I'll get into that, because he sees inflation being back at 2% by 2024, and I want him to be right. I understand there's no win in this. It's not like, oh, politically, this is good for me because I'm on the political right and Joe Biden's on the political left, and ah, it's a win. Everybody gets hurt in this. There's no win in a bad economy. It's like when people hope... Uh, you know, the, oh, unemployment, it's up. Oh, it's good. It's good for our side. It's not good for anybody. It's not good when an unemployment is up. It's not good when inflation is up. But it's also not good when you are dishonest about what it is people are experiencing. And this is the conversation about Wall Street versus Midwest Main Street. And this is the conversation about coastal elitism versus the rest of the nation. Because... One of the things that I said about the, the, the State of the Union, to which nobody has rationally or cogently been able to argue against this, is that Joe Biden was not talking to the whole country. He wasn't. He was not talking to my neighbors in Indianapolis. He wasn't talking to the people of Atlanta, Georgia, or Tulsa, Oklahoma. He wasn't doing it. He wasn't talking to uh, places in Indiana like Fort Wayne. He wasn't talking to St. Louis. He was speaking to coastal elites. And this disconnect continues in his talks, but it doesn't continue in reality. 40% of Americans say they're worse off financially than they were two years ago which, according to ABC, is the most negative response to that question in nearly 40 years. And 61%, according to CBS News with YouGov, rate the economy as bad. I have made an argument for a long time, and, and, and I guess an economist, economist could tell me I'm wrong, but uh, the way people think, I don't think I am. So I'm more connected, I, I would argue, to where people are versus where an economist is. 
the idea of not consumer satisfaction, but that forward-looking concept, consumer confidence, that's the one that matters. Where are you in the confidence of what's happening? And there is no confidence. Now, I tell you, I am constantly met with anecdotal evidence of everybody seems to be okay. I hear the stories. I see the stories. I hear business owners. I speak with business owners. The issues still with supply chain, the issues with hiring that still exist in massive ways. But when I go to a restaurant, it's full. And when I walk around a a, a mall, as I happened to the other day, I'm not really a mall guy, but I happened to the other day, people have bags. They're not just in the mall. They have bags. And so anecdotally, I see this evidence that doesn't seem to connect to what I know to be true. I find that incredibly frustrating. And then I'm met with polling data that tells me I'm not crazy. 40% worse off than they are financially than they were two years ago. I absolutely believe that to be true. As a matter of fact, I have a hard time thinking it's only 40%. So Biden told us that things were going well, that economically his plans were working, that things are moving, but it's not the case. I find this to be frustrating. I don't know about you. I find it to be frustrating because uh, something that uh, an economist, Dr. Matt Will, who you hear on the show, said to me uh, a few days ago in, in, a, in, a, in a message that you take a look at all the businesses that closed because of COVID and those businesses aren't back open. So when we see unemployment down, well, it's because there are less businesses hiring and looking for people. I know that sounds a little bit weird. Let me try and make that a little more clear. If business is closed and haven't reopened, that would make it so the businesses that are there are picking up the slack. But if businesses opened like they were prior to COVID when they were forced to close, exactly how bad would the employment problem be? It's not that the unemployment rate is low. It's that the workers aren't out there. What happened? Well, a lot of them, for example, in the baby boomer set have retired off. A lot of people maybe just approaching that retirement age said, you know what? I'm done. I've got what I've got. I'm good. I'm set. Thank you very much. Thank you, Cleveland. Good night. And they walked away from the job market. Then there's the other side of it. There there was a story. I thought it was a great story about a YouTuber mocking people who aren't millionaires. What's wrong with you? You're so lazy. You're so stupid. You don't have a Lambo by the time you're 25. What's wrong with you? By the way, Lambo is Lamborghini. And if you didn't know that, uh, you're, he, he wasn't talking to you. <laughs> Just so we're all perfectly clear, you are not the guy he was trying to, to reach. You don't have a Lambo by the time you're 25. What's wrong with you? Making money so easy. Well, a lot of people have found their dollars in ways that are outside of what we consider traditional economy. So unemployment rate being down doesn't mean that people don't have jobs in other spots. It means that the jobs we consider traditional jobs, a la traditional retail, construction, uh, these other things, why go do that? Why work a nine to five? 
So maybe I should be buoyed by that, right? That people are working. They're just being creative. They're doing it in different ways. This is pretty damn cool. Except that you have an economy that's driven by people showing up to work and there aren't enough people there. But Tony, in January, we put on 500,000 jobs. The, the estimate was only 187. We blew it out of the water by 330,000. And thus my confusion grows. And while my confusion grows by taking a look at these different data points, I am met and you are met with this kind of polling. People do not feel okay. People do not feel good. People are concerned. People are worried. And you're not wrong to be one of those people. The other big story, of course, is that we still have not come back to the status we were at in terms of the number of jobs pre-COVID. We haven't done it. We haven't replaced those jobs, which means, of course, as you know, Joe Biden is lying because no jobs have been created under his presidency. Not a single one. People going back to work is different than job creation. As Puzder uh, puts it, who I forget what his position was in the Trump administration. I forget his, his, his cabinet position there. He took a look at it in context. The economy added 3 million new jobs over 24 months under Biden. If you take a look, if, if you play the numbers the way he does, I look at it a little bit differently. If you lost X number of jobs and you haven't replaced those X number of jobs, you haven't created a job. Also, we should be clear about something, something that gets said by Biden that is, of course, a lie. The president doesn't create jobs. Government does not create jobs. As a matter of fact, government has never, ever, ever created a job. Government creates work. Government does not create jobs. The private sector creates jobs. When we take a look at the regulatory environment, you take a look at the amount of paperwork businesses have to do, and they hire an accountant for this, and they hire a strategist for this, they hire somebody else. Those businesses created jobs because of the work plied on them by government. No job was created by government. Work was created by government for the private sector, which then had to hire people, create jobs to fill that work. Government looks at this in a very perverse way. And they say, you see, we're creating jobs. Well, maybe we should create a little more regulatory this. Maybe we should have a little more paperwork that. It's these agencies kind of engaging a level of self-fulfilling prophecy of how important they are because look at how important this paperwork is and therefore look how good it is for, for hiring people. Well, you create jobs that aren't necessary. And then you get into a broken window fallacy, which is a Bastiat, I believe. The idea that if uh, a store, a shop owner has their front window broken of the shop, that that's a good thing because now the glass guy has a job. If that were true... We should go break every window in America. Think of all the economic prosperity. But that gets us into the place of what is seen and unseen. I don't know. Is that, is that, is that uh, Hayek? Or is that Adam Smith? Someone get back to me. The scene is the guy who fixes glass has a job. 
The unseen is all the things that money could have done if the shop owner was allowed to decide what it is the shop owner wanted to do with the money. But that decision was taken away by the broken glass. What is unseen is extremely important because you get enough unseens and then you have issues. When we take a look at all the regulatory burden and all the dollars it takes to fill the regulatory burden, if you don't believe me, go ask any business owner how much time they spend on paperwork versus how much time they spend actually doing the job, creating the widget, servicing the customer. If you're spending all your time with regulatory burden, you're not actually working. Well, I should say it differently. You're not actually creating. You're not growing. You are working, but you're not creating and you're not growing. The money has to go to these people to fill the burden. What is the unseen? What else could be done that would actually grow an economy, help people grow their businesses? Grow manufacturing. How much uh, actual, uh, like like uh, product, I'm not talking about product, when they make manufacturing products, those core kinds of things are, are, are foregone because, nope, I got to spend the money over here. How much marketing is foregone because, nope, I got to spend it over here. There's a tremendous amount of that happening. And if I if I was a guy in Congress... This is exactly what I'd be working on because you would allow the engine to grow bigger. You would create more prosperity if there was less regulatory burden. Business owners that were put out of business because of COVID not coming back is one of the great horrors of the last four years. And it doesn't look to any rational person like they're coming back. That's madness. Joe Biden touted the amount of small businesses that have opened up. But if you don't calculate that against the businesses that were forced to close, not that did close, that were forced to close, well, you're not getting to a proper number. Just like you can't say it was 12 million jobs created if it's actually people who went back to work. No jobs were created. That manipulation of numbers, that manipulation of data took place in a lot of places uh, during the State of the Union. But 40% of people say they're worse off now than they were two years ago. Well, how does not, that not translate to election victories. If they felt this way when this poll was taken just before the State of the Union, you're telling me they didn't feel this way on November 7th, the day before the election? Yet Democrats suffered not as many losses as was anticipated. What happened? Lots of people will tell you they know the answer. I am here to tell you I'm trying to diagnose the problem because the numbers are beguiling. The data is in contradiction. And I am, to the level, uh, to the conversation of contradictions, a very large fan of Ayn Rand. When you have a contradiction, check your premises. Something's wrong 
in your in your original theory, in your original thought, in your original calculation, and it has led to the contradiction. I'm not an objectivist by nature, uh, but uh, people who tell you Atlas Shrugged is not a good book don't quite understand what Atlas Shrugged is trying to tell you. Sure, she could have said it in about 22,000 less words. That's I'm willing to say that that's possible. I don't know if you needed the entirety of the John Galt speech. But I think it would not have gone over as well if he just said, hey, quit working, let him suffer. Like, I don't think, I don't think that had the uh, rhetorical flourish that she was going for. I find myself, from my experience, in a level of contradiction, and I have yet to come to an answer. But damn it, I'm trying. And I think that this contradiction is affecting a lot of people because what they experience and what they see is different. And you look at the data from people when they're polled Midwest Main Street and you take a look at what Joe Biden says uh, uh, at the State of the Union to the elitist coast uh, on the coast and Wall Street. And you're like, what the hell is this? And then you realize, my gosh, there are actually two Americas, aren't there? And that even gets more frustrating. A lot to get to here in Texas. So if anything sounds weird, uh, I'm not in my normal studio. But if it helps, I got a cigar with me. And that should make everybody happy. I'm Tony Katz. And Joe Biden, speaking of the State of the Union, may want to talk about protecting us at the border but we know that that's also not true tony katz tony katz today guys good to be with you bill malugan over there at fox news reporting due to lack of funding and cost the biden administration is ending the use of most of border patrol's vital surveillance blimps at the southern border according to uh border patrol out of 12 uh, Bill Malugan told most have already been grounded with only a handful handful still up in the Rio Grande Valley. This is the statement from uh, Customs and Border Patrol. The U.S. Border Patrol began reducing the number of tactical area stats it deploys along the southwest border. On January 1st, 2023, although the Border Patrol's numbers of area stats will be reduced, the Border Patrol, and then it, it continues, will keep doing uh, the work. We're really protecting the border by having less ways to monitor the border. I was told that we don't need a wall. What we need is technology. We need more technology and more ways to keep an eye on what's going on on the border and to keep Americans safe. To keep illegal immigration down, which uh, they don't actually care about. To keep fentanyl out, which they all claim to care about. Let's see them do something about it. And we're removing surveillance balloons. Now, you could, t- by the way, could we, could Biden just get off the balloon subject just for five minutes? Just stop with the balloons. It's like history of the world part one. Get off fat. Get off fat. Maybe this was something in the planning because there's going to be a new type of surveillance equipment being used. That's usually the, the response. Or is this, you know, we're serious about the border, but I mean, we're, we're not serious, serious. 
I mean, it's not like we live in Texas, so we're cool. Meanwhile, it looks like some old school organized gang activity going on in Jersey. I've got that story. I'm Tony Katz. The latest on this earthquake, brutal once again. The death toll topping 19,000 in that southeastern part of Turkey and northern Syria. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Three U.S. citizens identified dead in the quake. They have been finding survivors but this very, very quickly now turns from um, a survival, uh, like like a rescue mission, uh, to a uh, to a recovery mission, right? Isn't that the right terminology? There comes a moment where people don't live through this. Nineteen thousand, and that number is only going to climb. We have not seen the full levels of devastation that took place here, and one can only question exactly how this would be if it came to a more populated area. In 2011, when you had the earthquake and tsunami in Japan, and remember you had nuclear power plants that actually sank. It was stunning. You had these nuclear plants that were along the coast and they have these walls, right? They get earthquakes and they get tsunamis. And so they did the math and said, if you build the wall like this, it can handle the tsunami of this kind of height. And you can only plan for what you can plan for. What they didn't anticipate is that the earthquake would make the, the, the ground level sink. And therefore, the wall was not as high. And that's how you got so much complete and total destruction. Just absolute destruction that, that took place. If there had been more people in this area of Turkey, the death count would, of course, be higher. We keep our eyes on it. But we move now to New Jersey, where I'm telling you that if I I was in my my normal studio environments, you would hear the Sopranos theme playing right now. So just just picture it. Just picture A3. Woke up this morning, got myself a gun, coming out of the, the, what was it? It's out of the Lincoln Tunnel there. And, And Tony Soprano's heading home to his place in Jersey. The story of this morning is that a member of uh, a New Jersey city council, Russell Heller, was shot dead in his car. So authorities respond to a call that a person had been shot at a facility in Franklin Township just after 7 a.m. yesterday. This guy, Heller, found dead outside his car, senior distribution supervisor who had been with the company for 11 years and was a councilman in Milford. Okay, that's crazy. What's crazy is this is New Jersey. And a week ago to the day, a councilwoman in Sayerville, New Jersey, by the name of Eunice Dwumfor, D-W-U-M-F-O-U-R, was found shot dead in her car. Now, You can tell me that this is just a lover's quarrel that got out of control. Not buying it, not believing it, but you can tell me that. 
you can tell me that it's just coincidence. It's possible that it's just coincidence, but I ain't buying that either. I have two local government officials shot and killed going to their car or in their car. Stop. Stop. I've seen Goodfellas twice, people. This ain't coincidence. It's not. Now, the the suspect in the murder of this man, Russell Heller, he killed himself. He was found inside a car in a place called Bridgewater, New Jersey, dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. He's a former employee of PSENG, who they claim shot Heller before taking off and driving to Bridgewater and taking his own life. There's just so much here. And we go back to the original story of Eunice Dwumfor. You have uh, a, a elected official shot and killed in their car, and it doesn't make national news. Like, we talked about it, but, like, it, it didn't get any coverage anywhere. Let me say it differently. You have a black woman elected official shot and killed in her car. It doesn't make news. Al Sharpton's not all over this. What the hell's going on? Or is it because she was a Republican? I asked that question. I didn't understand how this wasn't a story. Where's the investigation here? What's happening? What's going on? Why don't we know more? Now I have this a week later. Of course, it's possible. Possible that it's coincidence. Nah, I, I can't. I can't. I cannot accept the idea that this is coincidence. And I, and I won't. We're going to follow this story and hopefully get some real reporting on it. And this brings us to James Carville, longtime Democratic strategist, the raging Cajun, have very weird-looking face, and now that he's gotten older, he has a weirder-looking face. I mean, I'm not saying anything that hasn't already been said. That's how you describe him. He is the guy who told Bill Clinton, it's the economy, stupid. That's the conversation. It's the economy, stupid. James Carville has a good understanding of politics. He's not always right, but he has a good understanding. So Carville is responding to the State of the Union. And a lot of people want to respond to how just, how horrific the Republicans were during the State of the Union. Oh, the yelling and the screaming and the interrupting and calling him a liar and saying, it's all your fault about fentanyl. You're in charge of the border. You have a porous border. The Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas is a failure. And now, as we learn from Bill Malugan at Fox News, you're getting rid of some aerial uh, security, uh, and that's going to make the border even more treacherous. Maybe you're going to replace it, but we haven't heard that yet. You're just getting rid of aerial security. So fentanyl is all on Joe Biden. What are you actually doing to stop it from coming in? I'm not asking what Border Patrol is doing as a standard practice. 
I'm asking what new is Joe Biden doing to stop fentanyl? What policies, procedures, ideas? The president decides policy when it comes to immigration. Part of the president's purview, which is why I was always stunned when some judge said, hey, Trump, you can't do that. Trump should have told the judge to go pound sand. Go get an army and stop me. I was elected. You're just a judge. I'm doing this. That's my take. But yes, there was heckling of Joe Biden at the State of the Union. Some of it, well, Joe Biden lied about a Republican position. Expect Republicans to say, uh, you're wrong. Some of it ridiculous. Marjorie Taylor Greene is just so proud of herself. She, uh, uh, calling uh, uh, Joe Biden a liar. She was on Hannity. She's like, oh, yeah, I, I did it. I'll do it again. And, and uh, I'm glad I said it. The first time you said you lie when he was lying about the Republican position on Social Security and Medicare, f- fine. Zero issue with that. You kept it going because you didn't know how to control yourself. Oh, I can say that clearly without an ounce of hesitation. As a matter of fact, I have no hesitation. You couldn't control yourself. Remember, I said this about Marjorie Taylor Greene when we're talking about Jewish space lasers. She isn't my person, but she's going to vote very often the way I like. And just because someone isn't my person, uh, all right, maybe I wouldn't vote for them, but I'm not in her district in, 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 in Georgia, so it's a moot point. It is what it is, what it is. There are plenty of members of Congress, ain't my people, but more often than not, they vote away in which I like, and so I move on with my day. But I don't know if I'd be bragging uh, about the thing. So some points were absolutely fine in response, and some points were ridiculous in response. But it wasn't the end of the world. Nancy Pelosi ripped up the State of the Union ripped up the papers that were handed to her by President Trump. Somehow that's not disrespectful. That's, that's a show of defiance. You can't, you can't have it both ways because, well, it makes you crazy. You sound like a crazy person if you're trying to have it both ways. You sound nuts. This brings us back to James Carville who said of the Republican heckling that took place during the State of the Union, he was over there at MSNBC, uh, saying that, look, Republicans working to cut Social Security and Medicare in the past was well-documented, and Biden was 1,000% right on this. He's right to press ahead, and I thought he had a great night last night, and it's just the level of white trashdom in the Republican Party is staggering. Oh. I didn't know, I didn't know we could use the term white trash. Now, it's funny, I I think that it's a very acceptable term, but then again, I think most things are acceptable terms. I think it's okay for people to say certain things. You may not like it, it could be uncouth, but it's not the end of the world. The point is, if Democrat James Carville wants to utilize that kind of terminology, What kind of terminology do the rest of us get to utilize? And why wasn't it white trash-ish? Why wasn't it white trash-dumb when Nancy Pelosi ripped up the State of the Union? Why is it different? And the answer, of course, is 
it's not. But politically, they make it different. Oh, these Republicans, they're just so uncouth. What do you... I, I can't afford eggs. What, what are you talking about? And that'd be my answer to James Carville. If I was there on the panel on MSNBC, by the way, I've done MSNBC before. It's been years. There was a time where MSNBC actually wanted to talk to people. Those days are over. If James Carville said that and, and, and the host said, uh, Tony Katz, radio host, what do you think? I would say I would be paying a lot of attention to James Carville, but I have to go work my second job now because I can't afford eggs for my kids. But no, go on, James, with your name calling. Good work. I mean, I'd beat James Carville into a pulp with, with the argument. Of course, figuratively. Again, I'm so uncouth or something. Terminology that would get somebody on the political right fired, castigated. It would be a 24-hour news story is a blip when it's somebody on the political left. So you, you, some people call this a double standard. Some people call this uh, hypocritical. I, I, I get that. I understand why they say it the way they do, and they're, and they're not wrong. What I want you to do is to take it to heart. I discussed the fact that as, as a radio host, I'm not just one word away every day from being fired. I am one word away every day from being fired. I am a half a word away. I am one mispronunciation away from being fired every single day. I would get no leeway that the leeway that they're giving James Carville right now shouldn't be given. Of course not. White trashed them. You mean all those people who have now come to the Republican Party because the Democratic Party left them behind? Because the Democratic Party doesn't care if you're blue collar. Democratic Party looks down on you if you work with their hands. The only thing that matters is how many college degrees and did you enjoy uh, your gender studies program or did you really enjoy your gender studies program? It is clear that they believe there are two sets of rules. I believe he has to be held to account. There's also a conversation about with the idea of Republicans, we're not going to touch Medicare and Medicaid. Ha-ha, Republicans fell into the trap. Man, I don't know if it's like that. I guess we'll see. Because I think that it took away the ability for Democrats to be able to use it in future elections. So why didn't, why isn't it they fell into the trap? Right, Republicans, we're not going to touch Medicare and Medicaid. Now Democrats can't use it. So who fell into what trap? Well, see, that's arguing politics, and that is what James Carville should do. Name-calling? Well, I don't think you should be able to get away with that. I'm Tony Katz. Chick-fil-A is testing a cauliflower sandwich in three markets. It's supposed to resemble its famous chicken sandwich, but uses breaded and pressure-cooked cauliflower in place of meat. And it's with that 
that it looks nothing like or resembles nothing like their chicken sandwich. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Oh, come on, Chick-fil-A. We need you to be our rock. Just be normal. I'm not anti-cauliflower. I'm anti-cauliflower sandwich. It tastes just like chicken. No, it doesn't. Chicken tastes just like chicken. I move it over to U.S. women's soccer, where U.S. women who play U.S. women's soccer are now telling young women across America, you will never play U.S. women's soccer. It will be filled by men who say they're women. Alex Morgan, supporting a op-ed written by Becky Sauerbrunn, saying that she supports the inclusion of transgender kids playing youth sports. So a boy could say they're a girl and play against girls. Best of luck, women in sports. I'm on your side. I support young women and college-age women who want to be able to compete at the highest level against other women. I support you, and if you want to get loud, I've got all the microphones in the world just waiting for you. But the feminists over there at U.S. Women's Soccer, Megan Rapinoe and now Alex Morgan, they don't support you. They don't support women. Man, women really do hate women. I mean, explain it. Do the math. It can't be done. If you support men or boys claiming to be girls or women and joining the team, they are by nature bigger and stronger and faster. They will take the positions because everybody wants to win and you will not see girls in sports anymore. Men are not women and women are not men and boys are not girls and girls are not boys. And shame on the U.S. women's team. Shame on them for hating girls this much. It's, it's so ugly. But it's on them. They're the ones filled with hate. Find everything. TonyCats.locals.com This is Tony Katz today.